If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Michelle. Uh, Thanks for jumping on this call with me. Hey, Dylan. How's it going? It's good. It's good. How are you two doing? Doing well. Pretty good. Good. For anyone who's not familiar, Jonathan and Michelle are Atlas Obscura's Places editors. So they look at all of the things that everyone sends in, the good, (laughs) the bad, the weird. I mean, the weird is obviously a given. And they uh, choose what they're going to focus on sort of researching, writing up, and getting published. We try and do, you know, as much as we can, uh, but there's a process of of selection uh, as part of this. And so that's Jonathan and Michelle. So I'm super excited to ask about what you've been seeing lately. Michelle, why don't you go? The place that I would like to talk about is Allen Hills in Antarctica, which is a place that, uh, like, the landscape there sort of lends itself to these like fascinating scientific discoveries. A geologist who spent decades leading a big research project in Antarctica called it a meteorite heaven. There are many that have been found there, but probably the crown jewel of Allen Hills is this small potato-shaped rock that was found there in 1984. Um, Its official name is ALH84001. And it is the oldest Martian meteorite that we know of on Earth. Scientists think that it formed like four billion years ago, maybe in a Martian volcano, and then it made its way to Earth about 13,000 years ago, where it was buried under the Antarctic ice for a long time. And what makes this funny little meteorite so interesting is that it's like sort of the center of a scientific controversy. In 1996, a team of NASA researchers published a paper where they pointed out some of these unusual structures inside the meteorite um, and have put forth an argument that they are evidence of fossilized microbial life. Yes. and and you know it's a really cool idea and uh, but the analysis was met with a ton of skepticism at the time. Hmm. Um, it's it is like still a topic of debate and um, it's one of the things that gets credited with sort of reigniting this search for other evidence of life on Mars. And I just can't stop thinking about it because I want to know like what ancient creatures and secrets are lurking in there. Totally, and I. <sighs> The idea that we can even find a four billion year old piece of Martian rock that was like landed on Earth thirteen thousand years ago and it's just been like under the whatever that's so wild and amazing and I love it. You know, I like that there's a controversy. Uh, I'll go on the record and just say like I'm putting my money down on like definitely there was microbial life on Mars at some point. I don't know, whatever. It just feels like a good a good bet, safe, confident. <laughs> so, it's so fascinating the things that are like hidden under the Arctic that are like finally thawing out from the permafrost and the different tundras and like 
giant viruses and these crazy <laughs> microbes. So slightly alarming, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's slightly alarming, but it's just fascinating the things that have like remained hidden under the Arctic and under ice caves for like centuries now. To- totally. So, and Jonathan, what about you? What have you come across recently that grabbed your attention? One of the things that really grabbed my attention recently is this crazy column that exists in Athens, Greece. It's called the Ritual of Periasis Column. Um, it's located in a restaurant area in the Mariani neighborhood. And one of the reasons why it really like caught my attention is because it's one of those sober reminders that history often repeats itself. Um, so during the Ottoman occupation of Greece around the 18th century, uh, many citizens began becoming worried about the influx of plague around the empire. And no sicknesses had actually reached Athens yet, um, but a lot of the elder citizens began worrying. So this led to them reviving what is known as the ritual of periosis for protection. This was essentially like a procession that led throughout the entire city um, and it circled ancient columns, which were believed to have healing powers. It began at the chapel of St. Harolambus, who's often prayed to today in times of disease and epidemics. The procession began usually with two female cows, Um, dragging a plow through the street, followed by a vessel where objects were put in that were related to the epidemic. So they would basically go throughout the entire city, circling these columns. And then when a procession reached the final column, they basically slaughtered the two cows, dug a pit, buried the cows in the pit, buried all the objects in the vessels, covered it over, and then kind of set a prayer for protection. Like I said before, what really caught my attention is that with the pandemic going on, with fear of sickness, with fear of illnesses, and we see the same kind of fear and people looking for things for protection and people worrying about what the future may hold and that uncertainty. You know, we kind of see those things happening again today. We need our like our rituals. We need our, our talismans, you know. Whatever makes us feel safe and comfortable is what we're going to gravitate towards. Those are amazing. Those are both really, really, really interesting places and very evocative. We're, we're sort of in the, the last throes of summer and entering into, into fall now. You know, my, my kids are, are going to be heading back to school. I'm curious if, like, I'm curious if you run across anything in that kind of, like, higher learning kind of category that, that's interesting. I love libraries. Oh, yeah. I, they're one of my favorite places to visit when I'm traveling. It's it's a very comforting place. Um, like every every different type. I love the like old school ones. I love a, a little dinky neighborhood library. I love a little free library. But on my list of libraries around the world to visit, there is one that is far and away top of the list. And it is... Uh, the Yusuhara Town Library. Yusuhara is a is this sort of small mountain town in the Kochi Prefecture in Japan, and it has this big, beautiful library that looks like something out of. It's a very specific type of thing, but it looks like it's something out of a young adult dystopian movie. Ah, yes, <laughs> this isn't this isn't a kind of ancient library, or is it? I don't know. Tell me. It's newer. It was built in 2018. And it is actually one of six buildings in this, you know, small town. There are only a couple thousand people who live in Yusuhara, but they have this sort of complex of buildings that were all designed by Kengo Kuma, who is a Japanese architect. He also designed the Japan National Park where the Tokyo Olympics were taking place. And a ton of his work sort of focuses on like bringing together nature and uh, building and looking for how humans and nature and buildings all sort of coexist in a space. Um, and the library is is kind of the centerpiece of this town. 
people call it the library above the clouds. And the vision for it is like a forest inside. There's this incredible lattice of wooden beams that come down from the ceiling that sort of look like a forest canopy. Um, and like the sunlight filters through them. All of the wood is sugi wood, which is, you know, native to the forests that are around Usahara. It's this like beautiful community space. Um, I think that's my favorite part about it. You know, you have all these sort of high level design and architectural ideas. But then if you look at the pictures, there's a bouldering wall behind the children's reference desk. There are like beanbag chairs everywhere and like little nets and hammocks to sit on. And the whole thing feels really organic and wonderful. Um, And it is my absolute dream to go uh, relax and read a book there. That sounds really fun. That sounds really nice. I, too, love a library. Uh, Jonathan, uh, how about you? What, anything in this kind of category of whether a library or just educational? Yeah, so let's go to Sierra Leone, and we're going to go to what is known as the first European-style university in Western Sub-Saharan Africa, which is the Old Bay College. So I'm going to read a quote here from UNICEF, a quote the old Farabre College is perhaps the single most influential institution in Africa in accounting for the penetration and acceleration of the spread of Western education on the continent. I do have to note that this school was established under British colonial rule around 1827, but a lot of the alumni that left that school and graduated ended up becoming key activists in decolonization activism across the country, and many went on to become prominent leaders of independent African nations. So during this time, Freetown, Sierra Leone was known as the Athens of West Africa. The building was used around about to about World War II. After that, it was pretty much just kind of like sat around and it was used as like a how Sierra Leone's government railway building. And it was later headquarters for like a magistrate court. Unfortunately, in 1991, that's when the Civil War broke out in the country and the building was used as a shelter. It was burned in 1999. And like I said before, it's pretty much a stone edifice now. It's hollowed out and empty now. And it's often listed on most places as like one of the most endangered historic sites in the world. Is this is there any effort to save the remains of what's there or kind of make a monument out of them? It feels like a place you would want to kind of preserve. The situation in Sierra Leone in that area is, I guess, is making it kind of difficult Mm -hmm. for that to actually be renovated um, or rebuilt. But it's still there. It's still still visible, still seeable. But, you know, it's it's one of those it's in a state of decay. And I think that's one of our purposes of why we pick these places sometimes is to try to save them. You can picture every one of these, you know, the like ruined arch, the brutalist Japanese library, the like meteorites coming out of the ice, like the column (laughs) with a procession going around it and like cows. Like it's all so rich and and kind of uh, really stokes the imagination so thank you for bringing these uh bringing these today and i can't wait to hear uh to talk to you guys in a couple of weeks and and hear what else you you are uh, are seeing come across the transom it's really always so great to talk to you too our podcast is a co-production of atlas obscura and witness docs i'm dylan thuris wishing you all the wonder in the world i'll see you next time witness docs from Stitcher.